Man, Psalm 40, one of my favorite psalms. So glad to be in it with you guys today. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you've opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I proclaim the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I've declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me, for immeasurable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed that have brought mutual confusion, who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor, who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame, who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. A title that my Bible gives this psalm is Faith Persevering in Trial. But you may not know that a title to this psalm that you can feel free to use and put in your margin would be Psalm 40, the Christmas song. You've heard of Christmas in July, but have you heard of it on October? Well, today you have. We are in a Christmas psalm. Hebrews would later on in your reading quote Psalm 40 and say that it's pointing to Jesus. When God became man, when God the the Son took on flesh, this age-long barrier between the earth and the heaven has finally been crossed. It's called the hypostatic union in theology. How is it that God became flesh? It's an incredible study to do. It's a grand theme within the great work of of salvation that God has come to accomplish redemptive purposes. That's the theme of the 40th Psalm. The 40th Psalm one man writes, is probably containing Jesus' testimony during the interval following three hours of darkness on the cross 
but before his actual demise. But as you spend time reading Psalm 40, you've got a whole host of different series in Jesus' life. You've got everything from the Immaculate Conception in Psalm 40, to the death on the cross in Psalm 40, to even the resurrection in Psalm 40. It's an incredible messianic psalm, recognized by rabbis to be pointing to the Messiah, the Christ. And we know that to have been Jesus, uh, everything fulfilled in Jesus. And so verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry. The, the psalmist David has hoped in the Lord. That is what waiting speaks on. I hope in the Lord. But it literally means to wait in ambush. I'm waiting for the Lord. I've got nothing. I am completely at his mercy for him to move in my life. If he doesn't move, it's over for me. And so I'm just waiting for any sort of movement on his, on his half so that I can cling to it in hope and in trust. One literal translation of this verse in the Hebrew says, Waiting, I waited. Looking, I looked. That's where my eyes are, on the Lord. I waited patiently upon the Lord. And that is a theme all throughout the Psalms as we've been going through the Psalms on Wednesdays and on Sundays recently. Waiting on the Lord. As Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's really what trusting in the Lord is. It's resting in him trusting in him. I believe that is a good word for every single one of us as we come to this place today. There's not one of us that is in some place where I got it together, I can make it on my own. No, we all have those things just weighing on our hearts at the back of our mind. We've got this coming up in a month. We've got that that happened this last week and it is burdening me. It is causing my heart to anguish. And maybe it's even just the dilemma of your humanity as a sinful person uh, knowing that you've sinned against a holy God and you have no hope but in Jesus Christ to wash away your sins. Good news for you today. You can come and wait on the Lord and rest in the Lord and he will give you sinlessness so that you can have a holy, white as snow life in the sight of God the Father. But notice as David says, I waited on the Lord, waiting I waited on the Lord, looking I looked to the Lord. He heard my cry. He heard my cry. I remember the first week-long fast that I did. I was going through the Psalms during this fast. And I was actually, I knew that God was calling me out of Corvallis. And he was wanting us to go either plant a church or pastor a church. And I didn't know where that was. And I knew there was a time frame. I had to be out of Corvallis by June. I didn't know what to do, where to go. So we fasted for seven days reading the Psalms. And I can't tell you how many times I underlined, I cried out to the Lord. That's what I'm doing right now, Lord. I got nothing. Where are we going? What are we doing? Ah. And then I'd also underline, and he heard my cry. I waited on the Lord, and he inclined and heard my cry. That as we hope in the Lord and rest in the Lord and trust in the Lord, he moves in our life. Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our Lord. He will move. That's how he works. That's how, he, that's how he's glorified. What is John Piper saying of desiring God? God is most 
glorified in us when we are most dependent upon him. He is all about his glory, you guys, and he is most glorified when we wait patiently on our Lord. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, verse 2, and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock and established my steps. And so there I was waiting on the Lord and he heard my cry and he brought me up. Of course, the picture is someone who's down in a pit or down in a prison or down in the quicksand and the rescuer comes along and helps with just incredible divine strength, pulling up out of that sucking miry clay and bringing salvation and freedom from such bondage as a prison, as a pit, as quicksand. You guys have probably seen the recent commercial of the man running from the car out in the desert. And as he's running through the desert, he falls in the quicksand. And as he's looking around for a stick and for something for help, there's a cat there. Just an average household domesticated cat. Go get help. Go get help. You know, go, go get help. You know, the guy has no help whatsoever. The bad guys are coming to get him. And David tells us, don't look to the house cat for your help. And sadly, a lot of Americans do that. David says, wait on the Lord. He will pull you up out of that miry clay. But you know what's incredible? As you do your deep studying of the Bible, you might not get this at your first reading of this verse. For David to say he brought me up out of the pit, in the original Hebrew, it means he offered a sacrifice. And even more specifically, he was offered up as a sacrifice. Who do you think this is talking about? It's Jesus. This is the Christ-centered word. I'm in a pit. I'm in a hole. I'm in the quicksand. I've got no hope. I'm waiting on the Lord. And the Lord has offered himself up as a sacrifice to get me out of this pit, this miry clay, this wet loam we spoke of it last week, as I mentioned, I'm reading the Pilgrim's Progress, and right away in his journey, Christian the Pilgrim is off to the celestial city and to get through the wicked gate so he can have the burden of sin loosed off his back, and the first thing he encounters is the miry slough of despond, the pit of despair. And how does he get out of it but the helper, but the Lord pulling him up out of the miry pit, setting his feet upon the rock and directing his paths. Here we see the Lord has offered himself up as a sacrifice to help us and to get us out of the miry pit. As David is speaking, of course, he's speaking more directly and typically of a prophecy of the resurrection. As we would picture Jesus speaking this psalm out, the Lord has also brought him out of the pit. As Psalm 1610 prophesies, this is also messianic. This is also speaking of Jesus. Jesus speaking in the Old Testament. You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Everyone else who's ever died was sent to Hades, was sent to Sheol. And even the righteous ones, they're on one side of Sheol and in Abraham's bosom, but the other side is more in the Hades aspect where there is torment there. But Jesus did not stay down there. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He was brought up out of the pit. 
as the true and better David. His feet were set upon a rock and his feet were established or his steps were established. Not only has Jesus had his feet set upon the rock, but he himself is the rock. He is the foundation of the church. Verse 3, whether you're talking about David, whether you're talking about this psalm really resonates with me today. I feel like I'm in a pit and God has brought me up out of it. And even as Jesus was in the pit and brought up out of the pit in the resurrection, verse 3 says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Let me tell you, you guys, let's just drop the pride and let's drop the act. When you know that you are a sinner destined for hell and the only way that you could be saved is through what Jesus did by laying down his life for you. He had you in mind to redeem you and to purchase you off the uh, auction block of slavery to sin and death. And he did it with his own blood. I'll tell you what, you guys, this ho-hum Christianity stuff just won't fly anymore. When you have the gospel and the cross and the empty tomb ever before you, there is a new song of joy in your heart. Whether you're a musician or a professional singer, man, you sing. You're meditating upon the gospel. You come to Jesus like a child with childlike faith. And my kids, man, it is so sweet to hear as they're in the back of the car and they're in the bathtub singing songs and writing songs about Jesus. My son just recently came into my office, doesn't know anything really about reading music, but in school his teacher's just kind of teaching him about notes and stuff. And he wrote a song about, I will lift my hands up and pray. He's eight years old. I will lift my hands up and praise Jesus. And above all these different words about lifting your hands up and praising Jesus, he's got these little little childlike music notes thing that represent beats and rhythms and Jesus I left my hand and he's like no no that's wrong dad no dad no it goes like this you know and it's like praise God you know dude as you're working at the mill you know driving the forklift as you're turning that bolt on that rusty pipe as you're oh I will sing to Jesus what is with that guy that guy was in a miry pit and he was pulled up out of it and a new song has been put in his heart That is way more powerful than someone's like, oh, I don't really sing, so I'm just going to keep it inside. You can't. You can't keep it inside. If you don't have a song in your heart, something's wrong. Like the southern gospel preacher said, he's taken me out of the mire and put me in the choir. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah? Glory. All right, I think that's how they do that. As the psalm says, one of Corey Ten Boom's favorites, you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. What is this new song? Praise to our God. If that's all you've got, hit it, brother. Hit the high note. Get in the falsetto. Praise to our God. You know, get in it. Hold it out. Make it a whole note. Let it last the whole measure. Praise. That's all I got. That's all I got. Coworker, you're wondering what it's about? Brought out of the miry pit, man. He offered himself for me. That's powerful. It's the gospel. What's so powerful about it? Many will see it and fear, our verse says. And they will trust in the Lord. Because they saw you in the mire. They saw you with the addiction. They saw you in the broken marriage, in the broken home. They saw you hopeless and helpless. They know. The world knows. And they also see the joy that the Holy Spirit 
has brought as he has invaded your life, as he's pulled you out of the miry clay. You start singing songs about Jesus and talking songs about Jesus and people are going to see it and they are going to fear this God. They're going to fear this God. The word fear, it speaks of worship. They're going to worship the Lord. And they will trust in the Lord. Many will see it. Many will fear. And they will trust in the Lord. Who was the one who was in the pit, the grave, and waited patiently to be raised and put in a stable place so that when this event was witnessed and remembered, many people would fear and put their trust in the Lord. Who's the real hero of the text? It's Jesus, isn't it? Peter preached it in the book of Acts, and when he told the story, people said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the promise just as we have. Psalm 67 is all about that. Psalm 67 says, God, be merciful to us and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us, but not so that I would just be blessed. Oh, I'm so blessed. Hashtag blessed. Blessed, blessed. It would be so that your way would be known on the earth. Your salvation among all the nations. So that all the people would praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Goes on to speak of him judging people righteously and govern the nations. Let all the people praise you. Let all the people praise you, O God. Oh God, you'll bless us. The earth will yield its increase. Our God will bless us. God shall bless us. Bless, bless, bless us. Shine that holy face upon us. But once again, it doesn't end here. God shall bless us and all of the ends of the earth shall fear him. God, I wait for you. I'm broke. I'm poor. My marriage, my family, my addictions, my sin. I'm in the miry clay and I'm breathing through a straw here because I got nothing. And he inclined and heard my cry and brought me out of the miry pit. Not for me. Now God loves you, but it's not all about you. It's so that all the peoples would praise him. He puts a new song on your heart, not just that you can like enter the next American Idol. Well, at first I didn't have nothing, then I became a gospel singer, and now it's just all about me getting famous. No, it's not. It's so that all the world would fear him. So that all the world would fear him. That is completely counter our culture, guys. That's not what we hear, even in 90% of the churches. Pull me out of the miry pit, it's for you. You save me from my sin and from hell. That is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. That's a bowl of ice cream. But the cherry on top is for his glory among all creation. Even the angels look in awe at what he's done to save us from the mire. Verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies again it's a perfect testimony of the part of jesus he's the perfect man the second adam who resisted satan who was the proud one and the father of all lies 
Now, through Jesus, we can have that power in and of ourselves today, but we got nothing without him doing it in us because he did it first. He's the example. He brings the power and the motivation to do it. Verse 5, many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you've done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Man, start keeping a journal Start writing a blog. Start writing down all of those wonderful works that God has done, not only in you, but in the history of creation. They are numerous. They are abundant. They are rich, miraculous acts that could only be attributed to him and his power, his divinity. Job says he does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. But how good it is for us to be accounting them and recounting them. Do you know that he has thoughts towards you? He has intentions and plans towards you. How great they are. In fact, the psalmist says in 139.17, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. He loves you today. He thinks of you today. He's gone out of his way to redeem you from death. How great are his thoughts towards you. They can't even be recounted back to the Lord in order. If I were to try to declare and speak of them, they're more than can be numbered. As John tells us in two different places in his gospel, first of all in 2030, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. So the Apostle John was trying to give an account so that people would know that Jesus is the Son of God. Man, I've got to write down stuff that shows he is deity, but I don't have enough ink in my pen, and I'm getting a writer's cramp, and I don't have enough parchment paper here. I can't live long enough to write this. They're not in this book. And he goes on to say in the next chapter, John 21, 25, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. That's how he ends the book. That's it. That's it. That's amen. And that's what the psalmist says. You are so good, Lord. You don't have a song on your heart. You got to be kidding me. That means you haven't been sitting down thinking about his marvelous works and his incredible thoughts towards you. When you do that, yes, Lord. Now you know what it sounds like on the inside of my pickup, you know, as I'm driving around. If I'm not yelling at bad drivers. And it goes over to the singing. Dr. Henry Morris, which I'm going to quote him in a little bit as well, but... He writes in his book, Sampling the Psalms, he says, Meditate on both the works in the words of the, and the words of the infinite God. The works and the words. This testimony, no doubt, includes God's work in creation as well as those in salvation. Every system in nature, let me just remind you, he's from the Creation Research Institute. He's a doctor. And he says, Every system in nature, even the most insignificant microorganisms and even the very structure of matter itself, provide further insight to the thoughts of our creator. All the marbles of design move so that the study of science is nothing but thinking God's thoughts after him, as some of the greatest scientists have even testified. 
thought Johnny would be in here to be able, can I get an amen from the biology teacher back there? Okay. I believe in science. Great. Because science will point you towards the creator. And it's accounting all of his wonderful works. Now let's get a little jingle bells going on here in verse 6. Here's the just Christmassy Christmas part of it. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. We'll see why this is so yuletidy in just a little bit. But it starts out by saying sacrifice and offering you did not desire. We have heard this in the past when King Saul sinned and didn't destroy all of the Malachites but kept some alive and even kept some of the plunder from the battle. It says in 1 Samuel 15, so Samuel said, as the Lord, as, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. See, Saul thought he could just do whatever he wanted and rebel as he wanted. And don't worry, I can always fall back on sacrificing something and just, you know, just God, just cool your jets. And God is not as interested in sacrifice as he is a heart of obedience and submission to his uh, authority. In fact, David, the next king, would write in Psalm 51, you do not desire sacrifice. This is after he had sinned, he'd committed adultery, he'd committed murder, he'd been caught red-handed, and he says, you don't desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You don't delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will not despise. Throughout the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 1 and Micah chapter 6, we see that the Lord, he's like, what are you doing just continually offering me sacrifices? That was not the point of the sacrifices. My eyes are burning from the smoke, guys. I desire that you submit your heart to me as your God. Not that you just try to appease me from just killing something. You miss the point. The point is there is going to be sacrifice to do more than just cover your sin. There's going to be a sacrifice that will come one day to completely wash away your sin. And it will change who you are as a people. And so when Jesus says through David, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire... My ears you've opened, burnt offering and sin offering you did not desire. You move on and it says, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. So David's writing, and he's writing of one to come after him, who's not going to just try to like sweep sin under the rug by just killing something and shedding its blood. He himself is going to come. He's going to delight in obeying God. And then he's going to sacrifice himself to deal with this sin issue. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me, our verse 7 says today. And it's there in that verse that we see what Jesus is talking about in many different places when he said, all of everything from Moses through Malachi, it's talking about me. And he would sit with his disciples and he would open up their minds that they could comprehend the Bible. That there's something deeper than law and sacrificial systems and priesthood stuff that he's trying to get across. He's trying to point to the person and work of the Messiah, Jesus. 
And at the end of Luke, in chapter 24, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's trying to tell them, it's about me, it's all about me. In Genesis chapter 3.15, you see that someone is going to come and he's going to crush the serpent's head. And in the process, he is going to bruise his heel. That's me. I'll be bruised, but I'll crush him. And all throughout, all of the stories, all of the history, all of the narrative, all of the poetry, all of it, all of the heroes and all of the champions, the volume of the book, it's written of me who would come in delighting to do his will. I'll offer myself up for the sins of the world and of mankind. As verse 8 says in our verse today, I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is not something externally that I really try to do. It's in my heart. Your commandments are not burdensome. My greatest joy in life is to obey you. It's the gospel. The author of Hebrews tells us that this verse was prophetic of Jesus. So we have no need to doubt that. These are Jesus' words. The words that we just are reading in verses 6 through 8... You can take to the bank that they were the words Jesus said in heaven just before he draped himself in flesh and was placed in Mary's womb. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought that? When we get the little nativity scene there, you know, with the the shepherds and all that, and that's wonderful, that's all great, but did you know there was something before that? That there's this scene of him saying, all right, this is the plan. We're going to go and we're going to show what the real sacrificial system was all about. I am going to go and I'm going to live a life that fulfills the law. I am going to delight to do your will. I'm going to go down and be an itty bitty baby. I'm going to grow up to be a little boy. And as a little boy, I'm going to delight to do your will. I'm going to want to be in the house of my father. As I grow and as I grow in wisdom, and I'm going to just astound people. And I'm going to live the life of obedience. And then I'm going to lay my life down as a sacrifice for sin. It's really one of the beginning parts of the Christmas story. Now Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 verse 5, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, and then it quotes Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body that you've prepared for me. And then it goes on to quote uh, Psalm 40 even more there. Now let me read what Alfred writes. The Holy Spirit has put into David's mouth language that finds partial application to David and partial application to us today, but its full realization is only in the divine son of David, The more any son of man approaches the incarnate son of God in position or office or individual spiritual experience, the more directly may his holy breathings and the power of Christ's spirit be taken as utterances of Christ himself. Of all men, the prophet king of Israel resembled and foreshadowed him the most. My son was so grieved this week because he's preaching Jesus to to kids at school. And one of his dear friends leans back at lunch and says, nope. I don't believe in God. I believe that the world is the world and we're just here and we're going to die and there's nothing deeper than that. Third grader. And Russell is trying to reason with this kid. No, there is more. And dad, what do I do? I said, man, just share Jesus. Share prophecies of Jesus. 
Share that someone from Westmont College did the math. He was a mathematician and he said, you can stack the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars and mark one of them red and throw it out there and for a plane to just randomly fly over and drop a bomb and have it hit that red silver dollar is about the same ratio of Jesus fulfilling all of the prophecies that were about the Messiah in the scripture. But Jesus has done it. Jesus has done it. Jesus fulfills Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, and the rest of the psalm as well. One man wrote, For Jesus to have these words on his lips is like Cinderella's foot fitting into her slipper. You remember that the slipper didn't fit anybody else, nor does this text fit anyone else but Jesus. Now, you might have noticed that the Hebrew quote doesn't exactly match the psalm quote that we just read. It's interesting because the writer of Hebrews, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it, was quoting from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It goes deeper in the Greek, and instead of saying, I opened up my ear, the deeper translation is, You have fit for me a body. How do those even compare? I've opened up my ear, you've opened up my ear, and you've given me a body. Well, for you to open up my ear takes us back to Exodus chapter 21, verse 6, I believe it is, where a bondservant would willingly become a bondservant by coming to his master and say, I submit my whole life to you. I want you to be my master. I am completely yours. And the master would say, this is your choosing, right? Yes, I love you. I want you to be my master. Okay, then come over to the doorpost of my house. Open up your ear and set it against the doorpost and I will drive an all into your ear and it will be a symbol for everyone who sees that you have willingly laid down your life as a servant of the master. So how is this prophetic of Jesus? Because Jesus, is, it tells us in the New Testament, you can read Philippians chapter 2, he became a bond servant and humbled himself to the point of death, even the death on the cross, Philippians 2 says. Jesus said, I open up my ear for you. I am your bond servant. And how am I your bond servant? A body you have prepared for me. I'm going to live it and I'm going to lay it down. Praise God. Morris writes, Remarkably, the Holy Spirit used the Septuagint translation, which renders this body you've prepared by me, the opening of the ear, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration, it can be interpreted as synonymous with taking on a specially prepared human body. And that's what Jesus has done for us a body that you have prepared for me one man said what we have in psalm 40 is the written contract of the messiah whereby he engaged to be our assurance So complete is the inspiration of all that is written, so great the authority of the Psalms, that what David says is really what Christ then and there said. Jesus said, as Hebrews 10.8 says, sacrifices and offerings, plural, 
burnt offerings and offerings of sin you didn't desire. You had no pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. You see, the bulls and the goats were unwilling participants. They were just walk, you know, walk into a corral, loop it, right, Alan? Dally up, drag it out. That's not how they did it. But they bring this animal out, and it's just like, you know. It doesn't know. There's no heart behind it. Anybody here want to offer them up for the sins of the world? That guy right over there, bring him on out. That's why it's so important that Hebrews 9 tells us that it wasn't with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. Having obtained eternal redemption, if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer uh, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse you deep inside in your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of bulls and goats simply covered over our sin, but it's still under there. Those bulls and goats who were unwilling participants, who were drugged to the altar, but the Son of God came with heart specifically to do the will of God and to voluntarily offer up his life to God. Very interesting, as I was reading a historical account of a man named Robert Leckie, he wrote a book called Helmet for My Pillow, and he writes about the Pacific War in World War II and his time on Guadalcanal. And he writes about how he was sitting there in his foxhole, miserable and suffering and just putrid and disgusting, and everyone's dying around him and there's no hope, and they're talking in their foxhole, and one of his buddies is whittling away at a stick saying, the Japanese are whittling away at us. And then as he's whittling, he snaps it and he says, and we will be broken. And it was there in the foxhole, just depressing, no words of encouragement. They realize that every one of them is expendable. And he writes this, this expendability shook us. From this moment, we dated the feeling of what is called expendability. All armies have expendable items. A rifle is expendable or a cartridge belt. So are men. Men are the most expendable of all. Hunger, the jungle, the enemy. About one or all of these could be corrosive, but not as corrosive as the feeling of expendability. This was no feeling of dedication because it was absolutely involuntary. I do not doubt that if the Marines had asked for volunteers for an impossible campaign such as Guadalcanal, almost everyone now fighting would have stepped forward. But that is sacrifice. That is voluntary. Being expended, cannon fodder, robs you of the exultation, the self-abnegation, the absolute freedom of self-sacrifice. Being expended puts one in the role of victim rather than sacrificer. And there's always something begrudging about this. I doubt if Isaac would have accepted the knife of his father Abraham entirely without reproach. Yet for the same master, he would have gone gladly to his death a thousand times. The world is full of the sacrifices of heroes and martyrs, but there was only one victim. Now that guy's not a Christian and not everything he says is right, but here's the deal. Scarcely for a righteous man would anybody dare to die. 
But Jesus came and died while we were unrighteous. All of those bulls and goats were cannon fodder. They were expendable. It meant nothing to them. Jesus came as the sacrifice, sir, with a willing heart and laid his life down as a hero to deliver us from the enemy of sin and bondage and death. So much to say, but we're not going to be able to get through it all today. We're going to move towards the bottom. And we're going to see verse 16 as the worship team comes up. So much about Jesus. So, so much about Jesus. It's very similar to Psalm 22. If you remember this summer going through Psalm 22, the, the wicked people shouting at him as he's there on the cross, the, the spiritual darkness of demonic beings swirling around him on the cross. But verse 16 is a high point. I put a star by it in my notes. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. What is this new song that God has put in our heart as he's lifted us up out of the miry clay, as he's offered himself as a sacrifice, as he's willingly come, as prophecy said he was, would, and laid down his life, his perfect spotless body for the sins of Rory Rogers, and he has many of them. There is a song that comes from knowing that. Praise to our God. For his wonderful work of salvation. Many will hear that song. Many will fear. Everyone who seeks the Lord and waits for the Lord, verse 16, will rejoice as they're brought up out of the quicksand. When you are brought out of the miry pit, do you not love that salvation? Do you not love that strong arm that says, let me get you? You know, or the crane. Yeah, Thank you, crane operator. Thank you, buff guy. Thank you, salvation. We rejoice, do we not? We are glad, are we not? Let anyone who loves this salvation not only sing the psalm of earlier, hun, praise be to our God, but let them sing, the Lord be magnified. People will hear that in our community. People will hear that in our word world. We're telling them about the miry and the quicksand, and I couldn't breathe, and I was coming up over my head. We read today when we all stood together that my iniquities were over me. There were too many, like the head of my hairs on my head. I couldn't count all my sin. I'm drowning in quicksand. I'm drowning. I'm drowning. I waited on the Lord, and He moved. He died for me. He lifted me up out of that pit. And anyone that hears that, man, they are going to want that. Because they have the same dilemma that you have. You want your mind blown? The word salvation in the Hebrew is Yeshua. Joshua. Did you know that Jesus' name in the Hebrew is Yeshua? His real name is Joshua. So you can literally read this verse. Let such as love Jesus, 
say continually, God be magnified. Is there anybody here that that's you? I've been brought out of the miry pit. He's put a new song in my heart. He came and did what I could never do and that he lived an obedient life. His blood did much more than, less, than just you know, cover over my sin and completely wash my sin away so that now I have a clean conscience and I can live for him in joy. I love that. I love Jesus. And I say, God be magnified. Are you seeing that with me today? Let's stand together. And maybe for the first time today, you came in here, this was not you. You were in the miry pit. You were in the quicksand. And God has brought you here today to get the strong arm, his crane of salvation right now. The helper is here to pull you up out. And all you need to do is respond and and grab hold of the crane that's right there. Grab hold of the chopper. Grab hold. He's brought it for you. Let his strength suck you up out of that miry clay and pull you up out. We're going to go to the communion table today and we're going to thank and remember God for dying on the cross. We're going to thank and remember how costly that was for him to leave the comforts and the privileges of deity on his throne in heaven and to take on flesh and become a man and dwell among men and be tempted in every point that we are yet without sin and have his own creation plot and plan and scheme against him to murder him until finally they did it. And yet he still loves us. And he still says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. If you love what Jesus has done, let's worship him together. You can get your elements of communion and go sit at your chair and with your family. Just pray as a family. Pray with friends. Maybe you want to come and just kneel at the altar and just say, thank you. I love you, Jesus. Right now, my kids, if you're a Christian, they don't call you Christians. They say they love Jesus. They love Jesus. They love Jesus. They don't love Jesus. They love Jesus. That's third grade simplicity. Do they love Jesus? Let all who love Jesus say, Lord, be magnified. That's our song today. I hope you'll sing it, even if it's the first time you ever have. Let him pull you out of the miry clay and let him put that new song in your heart. Let's worship together. Come up as you're ready. Take the elements of communion with your family or wherever you might want to go to the the front of the room, to the back of the room. And let's magnify our Lord today.